Hey everyone, welcome to Shine Health Coaching. Today I'm talking with Luke Reynolds. Uh, if you were listening to the podcast the other day with Andy, he talked a lot about Luke. Uh, I'm going to get Luke to introduce himself because I was reading through his accomplishments and it's quite a long list and I'm not going to be able to give it the credit it deserves. So Luke, can you, yeah. <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, no, it was cool. I, I had to listen to Andy's the other day with you guys, uh, with you and yeah, no, it was, it was really cool that you want to have me on. So thank you for that. Um, look, my career, I'm a professional strongman competitor. Um, I've also competed in uh, powerlifting and Highland Games, which you guys talked on a little bit the other day. Um, but my main, my main sort of wheelhouse is, is still strongman. Um, I started back in 2008. I played rugby league for 10 years before that. Um, I sort of finished with strength sports, uh, with, sorry, team sports by then. I was looking for a solo thing. I'd always lifted anyway to complement the footy. Um, and, and sort of found Strongman. I had a mate in, uh, invited me out sort of randomly. I hadn't seen him for a while to a contest that was called Central West Strongest Man, um, which was not too far from me. Did a little bit of training for it. Didn't really didn't know much about Strongman. Had watched had watched some sort of World Strongest Man on television, like most people have sort of been exposed to it at, at some point. And um, yeah, went out there, had some fun, competed with some good guys, and, and ended up taking the win out there, sort of without much training, which was was pretty cool um and i was like wow maybe this is the sport i've been looking for the whole time um i didn't know existed sort of in australia at that point it, overseas it was it was still going big strongman strongman had had a bit of a sort of golden age in australia during the 90s if you like but during the 2000s it sort of died off so there wasn't much of a scene here there certainly wasn't an amateur to pro scene like there is now so, you know, novices and, and amateurs entering the sport now have a much clearer sort of line how to, how to climb the ladder and to the top these days and, and opportunities and gyms and coaches and all this sort of thing. It just didn't exist back then in 2008. <clears throat> so I, after that comp, I, with, the, with my mate, Dill, that we sort of competed together, um, we're like, wow, where do we go from here? Social media wasn't really a big influence at that point either. Um, so we managed to get hold of a couple of the top pro guys that had been around for a long time and were still sort of running some, some shows, more exhibition-style shows um, or, or top-level shows where you had basically pro lineups. They were, lucky for us, they were actually looking for some new talent because some of the other guys were getting a bit older and, and looking towards retirement. Um, so, yeah, guys like David Huxley, Craig Reed, and, and even Derek Boyer, who a lot of people would remember from um, the reincarnation of the gladiators show on television uh he was thunder the character thunder on there he's done a bit of acting but those three guys became um sort of early mentors of mine they took me under their wing they were pro, pro level guys in in both highland games and strongman and and sort of um taught me the ropes taught me how to train properly for that that type of sport it's, it's different to your average sort of bodybuilding training which is what a lot of what i'd done in the gym at that point and, and yeah, it sort of went from there. They, they offered me some early opportunities in some, in some exhibition shows, some early competitions. And um, uh, it, it sort of, there was a few forums at the time, which was how people reached out to each other before Facebook became a thing and then Insta and everything else later on. So there was a, a bit of an underground of strength interest. And um, from there, new promoters started to spring up, new shows, new opportunities began to expand and um, it went from there. So by, by 2010 to 2011, there was actually a proper sort of Australia Strongest Man show again where guys could qualify from that through into world-level comps. 
And then underneath that, you, you had a few federations spring up that then developed uh, an amateur system below that as well. So there, there became a structure there where people could enter the sport. So more and more people did begin to enter the sport, which was great because it allowed it to grow. Yeah. So, so my, yeah, my career, I, I started in Strongman, moved into some Highland Games um, and, and did a few of those, but then, and even a few powerlifting meets. The problem was I realised I was becoming mediocre at all three because I didn't have enough time to devote to becoming good at all three. Yeah, about yeah. In 2014, I had to make the decision to kind of peel away from the Highland stuff and, and definitely the powerlifting, which I didn't enjoy anyway, and, and focus solely on strongman. So I was able to do that. Um, had some good success with that. Definitely got better as an athlete overall with, with the focus. And um, yeah, by 2015, I was competing in my fifth Australia's Strongest Man competition. It's a title, funnily enough, I've still never won. I've done 104 competitions. I've, I've competed for nearly 14 years, and it's still the elusive title in Australia that I've not won. I've won some international shows, but I've never won the, the domestic one. So I'm, I'm still hunting that. Um, but off the back of a, a strong podium finish in 2015, I actually um, managed to turn pro from there for where I got the invitation to compete in the Arnold Pro Australia in Melbourne, um, which was effectively me getting my pro card and, and turning professional at the sport, which then allowed me to compete internationally at, at top level shows like Strongman Champions League, the Arnold World Series and so on. So, yeah, since then, um, a lot of my career has actually been in Europe. I've competed over there a lot. Unfortunately, COVID's obviously sort of stalled that. I can't actually go anywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> As I know, you could probably appreciate. Yeah, I was like, uh, I feel your pain on that one. I was like, yeah, can you <laughs> the same thing in Australia. I'm like, oh, Muay Thai. And everyone's like, what? What's Muay Thai? And you're like, God damn it, yeah, I'm right? going to get with my people. Where are my people at? And they're like stuck in some yeah. other country. You're like, damn it. Absolutely. That's funny because I sit here and I'm watching – World's Strongest Man go ahead. I'm watching Strongman Champions League go ahead and, and all the top shows are still happening overseas. Mm. All the Australian and New Zealand competitors are sitting here just going, cool, our careers yeah. are just going down the drain. That's yeah, fun. exactly. I thought I thought as well with like the Olympics, that must be really hard for those people who've like given like so much and then you're just sitting there like, okay, this is not good timing in my life right now, but what do you yeah. do? I guess you just keep training and you just keep, you know, you just keep working on yourself and if it's meant to. 100%, it's yeah. I mean, I mean, look at some of – I felt for a lot of the athletes for the Olympics last year because a lot of them had qualified for the Olympics. Yeah. And then they went, oh, no, we're going to postpone the Olympics. Your qualification doesn't hold. You have to re-qualify next oh, year. I mean, God. imagine having to qualify for the Olympics twice. How hard would that be? And no one's ever going to be like, oh, you qualified for the Olympics. It's like no one cares about that. It's like were you in the Olympics or were you not? So it's just like you put in <laughs> exactly. all that effort and if you miss it, like, yeah, no. Yeah, that's in five years' time, everyone will go – Oh, what happened five years ago? Oh, there was a pandemic and you didn't go to the Olympics? Oh, well, you're nobody. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's all or nothing. Hey, I guess that's part of the, like, the 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 beauty of, like, if you win, you're like, yeah, that's sick. And if you lose, you're like, oh, that's sick. Um, yeah, okay, that's so, what so what? So obviously, yeah, so you you were good at it. That's what got you into doing the strongman and that. You found that you were like, this is my, like, genetic capability. Because Andy was saying that you're, like, six foot something or whatever. So you, you were like, this is, I'm good at this, so I'll just go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm six seven, um, and currently I'm about 165 kg. Um, at a at a really heavy, statically heavy show, I'll push my weight up over 170. 
wow. in an off season. I try to, we kind of do the opposite in an off season. We'll let our weight come down because um, yep. it's not healthy to be this big all the time. So yep. I'll let my weight drop down into the 150s. Usually if I get a decent break from competition, yep. just just for health, get fitter, um, yep. some weight. You know, and so what's, what's your average week of like strong, like training look like for you guys? So you focus on eating a lot and training super heavy. Like what, what does it look like? Yeah, the, the eating part's always been a struggle for me because I don't have a huge appetite, especially for a guy this big. So for me to keep yeah. my weight up, it actually becomes a bit of a chore. I've, I've really got to sort of make myself eat all the time. So yeah. that becomes a little bit frustrating. Um, whereas other guys have huge appetites and they have no problem putting on, you know, tons of mass. But um, so eating, I have to really focus on. But yeah. when it comes to training, so currently I'm in a bit of a contest prep. Uh, so I'm training five days at the moment. Uh, and that's split up over, I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So yep. Wednesday, like an active recovery day and, and same with Sunday. Never really have like a full rest day. Always, you know, as an athlete, we always should be still moving, still doing recovery yes. work. Um, yeah, and it's it's sort of you, you split up, not necessarily like bodybuilding into body parts. You would split it more into lifts. So you would have on each of those days, you would have a primary focus of the, of the session. So say today for me, the focus is yoke. Uh, sorry, yesterday. Yesterday's Monday. Oh, wait, today's Monday. Sorry, I'm lost far out. Um, <laughs> today's, today, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, today's Monday. So Monday for me, the focus is yoke. And then I've got some accessories off the back of that. Tomorrow is um, overheads, log lift and axle, yeah. axle press. They're my focus. Uh, Wednesday, rest, obviously. And then Thursday, monster dumbbell. Friday, deadlift is the focus. Um, and then so on each of these days, there's some accessories associated with that. And then Saturday, I've got like truck pull and stones will be the focus with some accessories. I saw a, like videos on your Instagram of you just tr pulling a truck. It's just, you're just so casually <laughs> like, yeah, just pulling a truck. I was like, what? <laughs> I can't even pull my furniture. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what we do. Like we're uh, strongmen's. It's so cool because we, we, push the boundaries of what humans should even be able to, to do. It's, it's an extreme yeah. sport in every sense of it, you know, like, um, so yeah, we, we definitely push the boundaries of what humans should, it should even really be thinking about doing, let alone actually doing so. Yeah. yeah. And is, um, is there a mental preparation for when you're going into that or is it, it's purely physical? Like, do you have to kind of get into this mindset? Like I know before a fight, I'm like, okay, get into this mindset, you know, stay calm. We need to be focused, blah, blah, blah. Like, is there anything like that? Or are you just like, strap up and just be like let's go <laughs> now it was interesting listening to you talk about that with andy the other day actually because i was like yep i can definitely i can definitely sort of um recognize myself there a little bit in, in what you talk about where you're especially these days like after 104 competitions like that's a lot of comps and yeah. um i'm probably the the longest surviving guy that's still around from my era there's not really many guys left competing from then so yeah. i sound like an old man but um <laughs> but um these days, I used to get quite anxious before competitions, so I'd, I'd sort of hype up a fair bit. Problem is, I realised as I got older that that was actually just using a lot of anxious energy up. So you've got to actually remain calm. It, it, your approach is much better. Um, maintain some calm. Definitely um, mentally prepare. Go over the movements in your head. Sort of psychologically practice, uh, like mentally practice those movements in the week leading in. Obviously, we practice them you know, in the gym as well, but yeah. definitely prepare. Um, I maintain calm until about 30 seconds out and then yeah. I, I have the ability to flick a switch as soon as I need to and then turn it back off because in between events, you might have six to eight events in one day with Strongman. Uh, yes. it'll like, yeah, it'll be like a minute or two of all-out effort 
and then you might have another hour, hour and a half until your next event because you've got all the other competitors or, or whatever has to happen. So you've got to be able to come up to peak arousal and then calm back down so you're not wasting all that extra energy. The problem is you see a lot of people, they really hype themselves up to this, this high point. They stay up. But they yeah. can only maintain that for like two events. So by the third event, they're crashing hard and, and it doesn't matter how many energy drinks or pre-works or whatever the hell they got, and all the loud music in the world and all this shit, you, you can't maintain it because it's, it's just burning way too much energy. It's, so it's like an adrenaline to- dump. Like they, they get all yeah. that adrenaline, they ride that high and they're like, yeah, I got this. But it's like your body can only sustain that for so long. And once that adrenaline's gone, you're, you've got to recover. You've got to like, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, because, um, you know, everybody's a world champion in the first two events. It's it's who's a still a world champion in the last event and the last two events. Like you see guys just fall off throughout the day and it's like, dude, you're gone. And then they're psychologically gone as well because – mentally like holy shit what's happening with my body and it's like yeah. too hard too early you burned out now you, there's nothing you can do to get yourself back it's the same thing with fighting like people comes out come out like guns blazing in the first couple of rounds and then they just lose it like no matter how much cardio you've got if you don't come in with a bit of strategy and a bit of whatever and you just go like fist you just go ham i suppose the word is you just lose <laughs> it and it's like you see like you see people it's like they hit the third round and that that's when you see who came in with some strategy and with some awareness right. and who just came yeah. in there and was like i'm fit i'm ready let's go and it's just yeah, yeah like uh, i you know i used to watch a fair bit of fighting and whatever and it's like if you're gonna be a bull at a gate like holy yeah. shit man you better knock that person out in the first fucking 10 seconds yeah, or you it's go home, go home approach hey. you're <laughs> like if you don't get them out in those first two rounds you you better pray to god i swear <laughs> like that's funny because um, one of my training partners is Jay Tahuna, who was um, the former UFC fighter. Um, Australia still does some boxing stuff, but he moved in. He does a bit of strongman now that he's retired from fighting. Um, but I remember him telling me about his fight with Ryan Jimmo, and he said um, Ryan Jimmo was a Canadian fighter who was renowned for his highlight reel knockouts. He had like the fastest mm-hmm. knockout in, in UFC history with like seven seconds, just a massive nice. head kick. So Jamie took the fight on like three weeks' notice, and he, he got in there and Jimmo did the same thing through a massive head kick, actually knocked Jay out. But Jay, as he was falling, he's, he's hit the deck, woken back up and then got back up. And because Jimmo, Jimmo sort of dived on him, just trying to ground a pound the shit out of him, but he couldn't knock Jamie out. Jamie was, Jimmy just held on for, for, for life. And then Ryan gassed the crap out of himself. Jay was able to hold on for the next three rounds and was just sort of in his ear going, you're getting tired, bro, you're getting tired. You're oh, getting tired. no. And he got more and more frustrated. And, and Jay ended up winning the fight because um, Jimmo had come out, tried to knock him out in one and, and couldn't couldn't last a full fight after that. So It's that, yeah, it's it's, that it's confidence, hey, like you you come in with that one, one way of attacking, but if that way of attacking doesn't work, you've got to have some kind of backup plan because that that's a, like, win hard, lose hard kind of approach. Like, yeah, and he probably absolutely. wasn't used to people just like being able to survive, you know? Wow. Yeah, it's, it's funny, um, your, your chat the other day with Andy, where you're talking about where in the Mutai fights in um, Thailand, where the first few rounds, are uh, you guys just feeling each other out, not really yeah. going on until later in the fight. So you've got to, um, that would take some serious discipline to hold yourself in check while that goes on, right? It's keeping that distance because it's like you want to come in and attack them, but then it's like yeah. you also don't want to because once you come in, it's it's fight mode. So you're kind of you're on the outskirts, kind of watching each other, see how they move. But then once you come in, you're like you're in the battle zone. So it's just like, yeah, yeah it's just kind of holding each other back. That That's what I actually found difficult was like, okay, how do I, yeah, hold myself back because I'm very much like, yeah, let's just go ham. But yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah. yeah, I remember that, yeah. But you know what, that actually... 
okay, I'll tell you this fight I had with this this chick named Ruffy. So I'm fighting her and she was like a go hard or go home post person. And so she comes in and I'm, I took the approach of like, she's going to get gassed because she was going like, I'm going to knock this chick out. And so I was like, you know, the matador with the bull, like they, <laughs> they put the flag in front and yeah, then the yeah. bull runs at it. And you step to the side. I was like, I'll just keep doing that. So I just kept stepping to the left so that she would just yeah. run and then go the wrong direction. But she didn't gas. She didn't get gassed out at all. And she ended up punching me into the crowd. Like I was like leaning oh, on wow. people and she was like standing over me, punching me. This is tent boxing, <laughs> by the way. So yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny like, when you talked about it the other day, because Andy had no idea what the hell you were talking about. The second you said it, I'm like, I know what that tent boxing is. I've seen oh, shows about that. You either know it or you don't know it. It's like, yeah, some yeah, people uh, are like, know what? And other people are like, oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> that's hectic it was so funny i had a bit of a chuckle i'm like wow that's literally how your fight career started that's so cool yeah i yeah pretty like lucky hey like to have that experience like yeah but like that's like it's funny because andy and i both do a little bit of acting now nothing major like we do commercials and you know the other stuff um but you know a lot of things like that have have just been us just taking opportunities when they come up just say yes to them you know it's just like what's the worst gonna I was going to say, no, who cares? Like, just, you know, and it's it's funny how you can get these career shifts just off the back of going, you know what, fuck it, I'll take this opportunity. Yeah, and, but I also love that feeling as well when it's just like, hey, do you want to do this random thing? And you're like, yes, yes, I do. Like, I ended up moving to America yeah. for a little bit just off that. Like, they were like, do you want to move to America and work for my company? I was like, yes. And then I ended up coming back, but it was but it was a good experience. Like, I did lots of travel and it was, it was yeah, awesome. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I saw that you love to read. Okay. I was like looking, I was like totally having a stalk of your Instagram. And you're like, <laughs> put all these, I love your quotes, by the way. I love the like one about like, no one owes you anything or whatever. Um, yep. I love that stuff. Um, so yeah. What book would you suggest for readers? Like if you could say, this is the book, you've got to check it out. What would that be? Look, I've got a little list here because you warned me about that one. I've got a little list. There's probably there's four if you're cool with okay, that. Okay, go for it. Go for but it. I, I reckon uh, like must must reads for especially look for anybody especially trying to sort of improve themselves, grow. You know, have that growth mindset to to use a term that I don't really like that much, but yeah. um, but also athletes and and young athletes. So um, the first one is Relentless: From Good to Great to Unstoppable uh, by Tim Grover, mm. and so Tim Grover is was Michael Jordan's. Um, uh, strength coach throughout his whole career and then became Kobe Bryant's strength coach throughout his whole career. Um, he's a phenomenal guy. He's got a new book out called Winning that I haven't read yet, but I'm very keen to. Um, really relentless dude himself, he, his attitude to to developing champions and, and what he learned by coaching champions is, is invaluable. So definitely worth a read. It's a real mindset book. Mm, that sounds um, good, yeah. Yeah, it's wicked. Um, it won't be for everybody because his, his mindset will be probably too hardcore for some people. Um, yeah. But it's it's very direct and to the point. It's like, you want to be a champion, this is how we build champions sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, the next one is The Fear Bubble by Ant Middleton. So a lot of people may know Ant Middleton. He's the guy, the head sort of uh, instructor of SAS Australia, the television program. So I haven't watched the show because I have no interest in that, but he's actually ex-British SAS or SBS, yeah. um, same, same thing but with boats, um, in, in Britain. And he, he's got some brilliant stuff on mindset as well, and he's, he's an extremely tough dude. Um, not, a, not an athlete, but a, a military dude. But a lot of his lessons can be taken on by anybody in any field, really. Um, you know, and he's done some crazy adventure stuff like climb Everest and all this sort of thing since. 
um, leaving the military. But yeah, he's got some really good um, some ideas in there on, on how to shift, uh, how you deal with fear and ap apprehension and anxiety in, in everyday life, really. So that was excellent. Number three is Mad, Bad and Dangerous to Know by Sir Ranulph Fiennes. So he's the cousin of um, Ralph Fiennes and um, Joseph Fiennes, the Hollywood actors. Um, now, he's a British explorer and he's, he's actually ex-SAS himself uh, when he was younger um, and became known as... Uh, he, he has a ton of records for circumnavigating the globe, um, crossing the Arctic, crossing the Antarctic, doing all these crazy, crazy explorer things, climbing Everest. Yeah. Like, like seven marathons in seven days on seven continents after three months after having a heart attack at the age of like 64. The dude is phenomenal. And wow. so he, he's just a, a monster of a man and just like his, his approach to life and, and just never saying no and, and never stopping is, um, is brilliant. So it's a, it's a real one about human endurance and toughness. Yeah, nice, nice. And one I'm currently reading, so I'm only partway through this book at the moment, um, is Letters to a Young Athlete. And that's Chris Bosch. So he's a two times NBA champion um, with the Miami Heat in, uh, in the US. So he's a basketballer. His career was cut short by a, by a medical condition, but mm. he's actually um, written a really excellent book. And he was on Tim Ferriss recently on, on his podcast. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been really cool. It's sort of done in the same style as like Letters to a Young Poet in that type of, um, type of book. But um, yeah, it, it's some really cool advice for, and, and all coaches, athletes, and everybody should read this one as well, especially young athletes coming into, into sport or want to make a career from it. So yeah, yeah. that was long, but they're my, they're my okay, four yeah, Okay, I'm going to listen to this and write them down because I definitely need more books. I've got other, I've, yeah. yeah. And then again, it's like, you always need more books. Hey, you like, I read the book and right. then you're like, oh, five more new books, run. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. So I've, I've usually got like six going at once and I'm like, reading them at the same time that's crazy but oh, I love is, reading is it because you like you feel like one day you're like oh I feel like the vibe of this book oh I feel like the yeah. vibe of this book yeah I'm with you there okay yeah, 100%. okay cool I'm glad you say that because I, I do that but then I like judge myself I'm like damn it why don't I just read one book at once and I'm like but <laughs> I want to like this I, I follow what I'm interested in you know what I mean so it's like one day I might be more focused on that interest so I want to focus on that like um yeah, 100% so what's your approach to coaching? I see you do coaching. So what is your kind of style of coaching? And yeah. Um, that's an interesting one. I saw that question when you sent it through and I'm sort of like, I don't know how I would define my style of coaching. Yeah. Um, it's very, very direct. No nonsense. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've heard criticism from former athletes of mine that I was actually too strict, but yeah. I, I, I don't, know that that's a fair assessment perhaps from their perspective that was true um i have a coach that's that i would probably term as, as stricter than me um yeah. that coaches me um but yeah look it's it's more that i don't think a lot of people are willing if they i, I really want to push people to achieve excellence and, and really achieve yes. at the top level, not just improve themselves yeah that's cool as well like I'm, I'm okay with that and I'm, I'm cool with helping people with that but I really want to pe push people I think humans are so capable of, of such excellence but I don't know that people realize it sometimes and I, I just mm -hmm. wish some people could reach a little harder and a little higher so yeah. I think sometimes I feel I've pushed them a little too hard because of that yeah um, it comes from a good place it's like you see their potential yeah. and it's like almost ang not angering but frustrating I suppose is the word that you see their potential yeah. so you kind of want to like push them 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see potential wasted. And, yeah. and I've seen some great athletes come and go. And uh, I said all the time, even in the sport, I've seen better athletes than me come and go in this sport and they just didn't have what it took to, to mentally stay with it. So I guess maybe they didn't, they weren't better than me because if they didn't have that full mental game, it's sort of like, if you, if you look at the attributes that contribute to, um, you know, what makes a great athlete, it's or, or greatness in anything really, but like, so, you know, genetics obviously play a part in that. So, yeah. you know, physical ability. But then beyond that, you've got to have the mental toughness to, to cope with the ups and downs, injuries, all the rest of it, you know, um, things that life throw at you. You've also got to have um, exposure to the opportunity, I guess. So growing up in the right country helps. Exposure yeah. to that sort of thing. Wealth can probably help, I guess. But um, sometimes lack of would drive people harder. It's, it's, there's a number of things that would contribute to building, you know, the ultimate athlete. Um, I think a lot of people sort of take for granted especially in the West, I think we take for granted that it's quite easy to access sports sometimes. Yes. Um, and, and I think sometimes people are just like, they're happy to achieve a level of success, but they don't necessarily want to really reach for the top or reach for greatness. And, and that's fine. That's, that's their choice. I can't make them do anything. Like, you know, I can provide a well of, of information, um, but I can't make them drink from it sort of thing. But yeah. um, if, if somebody wants to show that dedication to me and they, they want to go all the way, I'm there in their corner the whole way as well. So I, I say that yeah. too. I'm like, if you commit, if you show you're committed to this, I'll be there. Like, I'll match I, your commitment. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah. I need to see that commitment first because it's hard as a coach when you, you, you know, you go out of your way to like help people and then they don't match that and you're just like, well, now I feel yeah, like it's hard. It's it's an emotional roller coaster coaching. It really it is. is. It's yeah. very draining sometimes, and you kind of got to kind of got to chuck up a bit of a shield and and yeah. protect your own energy sometimes. It's hard as well. I discuss this with Andy a fair bit, being a coach and athlete at the same time, because we're mired in our own struggles still, trying to be athletes um, and yes. all the crap that's associated with that, and then dealing with our own coaches, and then to have to then pour a lot of emotional energy and, and mental energy into somebody else's cup. We have to kind of protect, you know, to borrow a turn of phrase, we kind of have to protect our own energy as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that can be a real juggling act and, and it's easy to pour too much of yourself into somebody else and then have them not really, I guess sometimes they take it for granted. So you've, you've got yeah. to kind of protect yourself from that. Well, this, this is the thing I see as well, like people complaining about being, go, being like needing to go to the gym. And I'm like, you literally are in like a first world country where you could walk right. down the street and go to the gym. You have perfect health. You're in your youth. You can yep. go and do all of these things. And that yet you sit there and you decide to like complain about needing to go to the gym. Like there are people right now who are literally wishing that they could go to the gym. There are athletes right now who wish, you know, maybe they've got an injury and they can't do that anymore, who wish they could be back in that place. Like people don't realize it, it what's right in front of them. And yeah. Yep. Yep. There's a, there's a really good um, 105 strongman in, in the U S he was actually America's strongest man, Anthony deal. And um, he's a very good coach in his own right. And, and he puts up a lot of very poignant points uh, from time to time. They'll often be a lot of things I share. And, and he's like, we sit here and act like life is so hard in these Western countries these days. He's like, life is not hard for any of us. He goes, 150 years ago, life was hard. He goes, but these days we have to manufacture hardship just to convince ourselves we're actually tough. Like, I yes. we build gyms to go in there to do hard work. We manufacture that, like, because nothing in life really is hard anymore. You yes. all see, we've all got our own mental health struggles and, and all this emotional shit and all the rest of it. And that's not to trivialise any of that at all. But yeah is not hard these days so it's like like you said like oh no i've got to go to the gym well nobody's making you go to the gym but like it's a goddamn privilege to go to the gym like yes 
don't take it for granted the opportunity that you still have two legs at work and two arms and you can get up and go to the gym. That's a privilege. Like, that's brilliant. Yeah. And you know what? On that subject of like manufacturing our own difficulties, I actually believe that people, if they're not finding some area in their life to challenge themselves, they will create challenges because the human body, it needs to grow. It needs creativity. So it's just like, if you're not, okay, I'm going to put all my energy into this and I'm going to challenge myself in this, that need within you is going to be fulfilled in another way. And that's when I think people go down the wrong direction. So it's like, that's a human need. You need to put that somewhere. Right. The old saying, like um, idle hands are the devil's work, like because you know, you'll end up doing dumb shit with that energy and, and get yourself into trouble if, if you don't have a focus for that energy. Because like I said before, humans are, are capable of such greatness. And I think we're made to, we are designed to achieve. Look at us, we're, we're amazing machines and we have the intelligence to do such great things. But like a lot of time, 95% of people out there just aren't reaching. They're just not, life's too easy these days, I think. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's why do you one. think why do you think that people choose that do you think it's it's why do you think like they have the opportunity to go for greatness or they have the opportunity to not even challenge themselves what is it that makes the difference between the person that says i'm going to challenge myself and go for my full capabilities and that person who just says i'm going to watch tv today um probably because comfort is so easy and life is easy there's nothing that makes you have to pursue anything and you can still live a reasonable life you can make money you can you can have a family have kids whatever the hell you want to do with your life you can achieve all that in relative comfort in relative ease these days without actually having to fight for any of it so i think people are just like oh you know that's pretty easy i'll i'll, I'll do that instead mm-hmm. um but i also think things like social media um are, are, you know even though you and i and andy and all of us we use them as vehicles to promote ourselves and, and sort of push ourselves as athletes as, as speakers as, as whatever in life um to achieve some of our own goals, but there is a, an evil side to it there where I think people, they, they can achieve this mo- modicum of, of fame or, you know, relative success without really having to actually do anything these days. Yeah. Um, like you see the Instagram pages where there's no value being added. It's just them like posing and you're like, yeah, this adds no value followers. to society. Like, what are you doing? Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're making money. They can monetize that. They, you know, they've got a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand followers. So they're actually they can make money from that. And there's nothing on there of, of any value whatsoever. It's just trash. And you're like, holy shit, this is where humanity's at now. Like that's that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to understand that so much. I'm like, what is it about that that we we yeah. love so much? You know what I mean? Like, why would people yeah, I'm sure there's like a oh, lot of social psychology. Weird. Sorry. Yeah, we're all, just, we're all just voyeurs, I think. We're all just like you know, watching crap, like, and, and we're all guilty of it because we all sit there and scroll social media from time to time. So yeah, it's a hard yeah. one. Split fingers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so can you tell me a little bit more about the K- the caber toss? Because I didn't even have a name for it. All I knew was like <laughs> guys in kilts throw log in Scotland. That was my understanding guys in of it. Throw logs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, look. Yeah, so yeah, Highland, like Andy, Andy was quite correct the other day. It's it's usually at a festival called the Highland Games. We because Australia, New Zealand, um, Canada, US have quite strong um, Scottish heritage as well. Um, you'll often find Highland Games in each of those countries as well, a strong Highland Games presence and a strong Scottish tradition there. But so the original festivals will be called Highland Games. Um, the actual Strength events of the day, so they're all throws. Um, so you've got caber toss, sheave toss sometimes. Um, 
stone puts, which is like shot put, but with a rock, mm-hmm. um, and some weight throws, uh, which are like discus throws, but they're a weight on a chain. They're a very similar movement though. And then you've got um, hammer throws, but unlike the Olympic hammers that are with wires, they actually have a stick, they're called the Caledonian hammer, and you don't turn with them, you throw them over your shoulder. Um, so, so there you throws, but what that is actually referred to is called the heavy events. So it's the heavy events component of a Highland game. So Highland games encompasses everything from dancing to marching bands to, you know, pipes and, and all the rest of it, stalls and markets and all this, the heavy events are the actual strongman, I guess, component of it. And, um, yeah, so that, that's a lot of your traditional throws that were done in the Highlands for, you know, hundreds of years, um, Stone lifting isn't part of it. A lot of people confuse that. They think it is. Traditional okay. stone lifting is a different thing. It's separate. You may see it pop up from time to time at the Highland Games, but it's not really part of the traditional side of the Highland Games. It's it's a separate sort of strength culture in its own right, which is more of a rite of passage, which is what Andy was talking about the other day. Yeah. Yeah, so, so cobra tossing, there's a lot of different schools of thought on where Caber tossing actually originated and what its original purpose was from like um, tossing a tree across a ravine or across a river. So you had a crossing or something like that um, to a number of other things. But the idea is it's it's usually a, a long straight thing that looks like a telephone pole. It'll actually taper at the bottom a little bit. So the top will be typically thicker and the bottom tapers down and it is quite sort of shaped at the bottom. Is that so you can grab it? Yeah, so okay, what happens yeah. is you set your feet sort of like that together and yeah. they'll wedge the cable in against it. They'll, someone will stand it up for you and then when it's upright in front of you, you'll take it and then you have control of that walk away. So then we work down the cable with our hands like this and we sort of clamp in the pole itself. You go down to about, you know, I don't know if you can see, about a foot off the bottom and then you clamp it, you pop it straight up in the air and pop your hands underneath and then you catch it. So it sits in your hands sort of cupped underneath so they're usually anywhere from 16 feet to 22, 23 feet tall. So like five, six meters, they're very long. They're usually around 60, 70, 80 kilos. So it's a, it's a considerable weight considering the way you have to, um, to, to pop them and hold them. They balance quite well in your hand. You sort of clamp it against your shoulder and then you have to run in a straight direction. They'll have marked out where you have to go with it. So you generate um, some, some momentum with it, running with it upright, um, and the idea is that you generate some force, you prop and block like a normal throw, and you actually have to get it to go. So end over, hits the ground, and then it flips over again. And that's called turning the caber or tossing the caber. And the idea is that you're actually, it's, it's not a strength throw, it's actually for accuracy. So what you're mm-hmm. trying to do is imagine you're standing on a flat clock face and you're standing at six o'clock, you're trying to get it as close to 12 o'clock opposite you as possible. So a perfect toss is 12 o'clock on the button and then anywhere within three and nine o'clock on the other sides um, is, is how they'll work out your score. If it sort of turns, it doesn't go quite straight, go sideways. So you'll get a score that's basically the time on the clock face. Um, and, and it's worked out for accuracy. It's, it's never done for distance or a lot of people think it's done for distance or amount of times you can flip it. Oh, like okay. So it's um, not about how far you can throw it. It's about can you actually get it to go straightforward rather than just yeah, kind of like you've got to get it to, to flip and then be accurate yeah so wow. it's um it's, it's a lot more skill and a lot more technical than people tend to tend to think yeah like what so the flipping it how does how do you make it flip what so you have to hang on so you have to throw it like you're almost throwing it up in the air and then it has it to is, flip yeah, in the exactly. air exactly so you you prop 
you block. So that energy from your run transfers into the caber itself. And then you do a really high pull, your hands still together. So you pull it really high like that. And, and as it's come away from your shoulder, you pull and then it flips over. So the thing and it has to flip again. Okay, so what is the experience like of running while holding like a giant log? <laughs> what is that like? What? It's cool. It's it's an awesome event, actually. It's one that I'm actually have been able to transfer. It's, it's one of my better events in Highland Games. I was probably one of the best best in the country. Um, and it, because of my strength and I, I learned the timing early on, I was actually able to master that one better than some of the other throws that it's usually guys that are very good shot putters are good at. I'm not so good at those events, but I'm very good at the caber. But yeah, it's really cool. You have full control of it. And then sometimes you have to adjust your position sideways, forwards, backwards if it's tipping the wrong way. So you have to account for that. And then you're sort of feeling it. As you're running, you're feeling it. You want it to just nudge off your shoulder. And as it comes away from your shoulder, that's when you stop and pop. It's very easy to mistime that. And you, if you pull too early or too late, the caber won't do what you want it to do. It'll You may break the caber because it'll hit the ground wrong and snap, or um, it, it won't go over. So, Have you ever yeah. been to events where they're going to throw it and it's going backwards? Yeah, uh, if it goes backwards, you've, you've got to bail. You've got to get out of the way because it, it'll wheel come across your shoulder. And if yeah. it hits the ground behind you, it'll it'll break your collarbone. So yeah, that's why I was thinking. Uh, I was like, it's all good yeah. if it's going forwards, but if you like you trip <laughs> backwards, that's if you've got a log literally already on you. Like yeah, right. Yeah, you can get you get really badly hurt if you if you mess it up and don't get the hell out of the way. Usually, you, you teach people early, like if it, if it's going, just let it go. Don't try to save it if unless it's you know savable. So the risk and then, is not worth. Yeah, we have, we have a certain exclusion zone because the crowd's always like, holy shit, they're sort of behind us. And if it starts coming backwards, they all start scattering, and it's <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> that would be so good to just see like that moment where the whole crowd is like, oh no no no, I'm out, I'm out. I, yeah, I suppose like, it's the same oh, thing. Oh, this is awesome, and they're like, holy shit, it's coming right <laughs> for us. It's the same thing. Like sometimes in Muay Thai, people come out of the ring, and I remember this yeah. one time these guys were like fighting right on the corner and then they just like literally like flipped out into the crowd and the whole crowd was like they're just gone and oh man yeah the energy at that moment it's the best right that's, it's it's awesome because it's the, the crowd's so close and so part of it it's it's yeah. the energy's insane you don't get that at other sporting events yeah it's like that viral emotion like everyone's like whoa, whoa. Yeah. and then but then as soon as that emotion flicks like you just see that ripple through and everyone's just like, Got it. Very good. Um, okay, so what what are some tips that you have for people if they're going to go down the journey that you've gone and, yeah? Yeah. Um, look, the biggest thing for, for anyone, and when I tell people when they first walk in the gym is that biggest thing is to get some consistency in what you're doing. Um, just keep walking through the door and, and get yourself to the gym. And then you have to train with intent and with intensity. And, and um, But the, the biggest thing for people is to, to really get some structure in their life and, and um, you know, become disciplined with how you eat, how you drink, how you live your life and, and, um, and then get your training in order. And then, and then find a good coach. There's plenty around these days, especially if you want to move into strength. There's a lot of good strength coaches around. Um, but yeah, ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask, reach out to people online. Like I've had, I've, I've spoken to a lot of top pros over the years before I was a pro that were able to help me out. I had a lot of people mentor me early on and, and sort of, that's why I enjoy a lot of coaching now. Cause I can pass that, pass that on and pay it forward. You know, yeah. now it's my turn, but, um, and I've had a lot of people reach out to me that I've just given a ton of free information to over the years and, and helped out just trying to steer them in the right direction. You know, like uh, you'll realize a lot of people are actually very approachable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th I think a lot of people when their lives, they seem like they're in disarray. Training, training is such a good one that they can sort of um, put in as a non-negotiable structure in their life that they can then anchor themselves to and build 
sort of their life around that where yes that's legit what i did i was like yeah, yeah that was right my first thing i was like oh the gym yeah. and then from then on i was like oh structure that that's a good thing <laughs> let me do that for the rest of my life because you're like right so on this time on these days i will be in this location doing this everything else falls in around that it's non-negotiable yeah. and then you can anchor yourself to that and go cool this is my structure and go yeah. from there and then that's how you can build some consistency not having like this chaotic haphazard life i mean yeah. i live pretty fluid like I, people would laugh if they heard the way i'm talking now but it's like i still have that structure in my life that i'm anchored to so yeah exactly um yeah i i think that's probably the the first tips people need to just really get some consistency in what they're doing don't like go i'm gonna go to the gym for a week and then not go for a week i'm gonna go to the gym for a yeah. week and, not go for a week. and that's they I'm won't go for a week and then they do like two hours and then they don't go for like another couple of days it's like just go every day like i say to people yeah. like even if you go for like a 20 minute walk on the treadmill it's about the fact yeah. that you turned up to the gym and sometimes when yeah, people exactly. start and yeah. that, that logs in up here like you 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 start to mentally accept that as, as just part of the problem what uh, i see a lot of people doing is they treat the gym or exercise or recreation or any any form of exercise or, or things for health weight loss whatever it is they treat it as a bolt-on to their life. It's, it can't be a bolt-on. It has to be part of your life. It has to be yeah. as as part of your life as much as getting up and going to work in the morning, as going to bed at night and sleeping, um, eating food during the day and going to the gym or going to your sport or whatever it is that you choose. You don't have to do, do the gym, do whatever the hell you want. But it has to be as part of your life as every other non-negotiable in your life. Um, yeah can't see it as an extra. The, the problem is people run into some sort of financial difficulty or they change jobs or they change location. Suddenly the gym just peels away or their sport just peels away. It's like, no, it, it can't. It has to stay there. It has to be part of your life, irrespective of what's going on. Peel away other shit like Netflix or smoking or, you know, whatever the hell else you're wasting your money on or your time, peel that away and keep this as your lifestyle. It's, um, yeah, it's those it's those little moments. Hey, it's like that little choice that well, it seems like a little choice. Am I going to keep the gym membership or am I going to keep the Netflix? Like it seems like a little choice in that one moment, but that's like an entire like way that you've set yep. your life up. Yeah, yep, exactly. It's like, it's like uh, also at home at night, are you going to pick up a book or are you going to sit there and watch Netflix aimlessly for four hours? Like, I mean, how many people are like sitting there going, Oh, I can't really afford to keep going to the gym or I can't afford my coach or anything like this. And they sort of reconsider that, but they've got to stand They've got a Stan subscription. They've got a Disney Plus subscription. They've got an Amazon, whatever, Prime subscription. They've got Netflix. So they're blowing, you know, what, 80, 100 bucks a month just on shitty television subscriptions when they could be spending that on something that would actually help them grow. Spend it on a course. Spend it on a coach. Spend it on, you know, go to the gym. Do something, like, that's actually uh, productive to you, not just making somebody else money. Yeah. Um, I, I People could make these small changes in their life would make a big difference straight off the bat. And I think it's like looking at money as a tool, like money is a tool that you could use to build your life or you could throw that money down the drain. Like there's no, yeah. yeah, And yeah. Yeah. And don't, don't look at money as the goal. Like if, if that's your only driver in life, I think that's actually a little bit sad. Um, And, and we're all entitled to our own why and our own drivers and, and the reasons we get up in the morning. But I think if money's your actual, like you said, it should be a tool to achieve yeah. things in your life, not um, not not the the end result, not the end goal. Like things come and go. You can always make more money, but yeah. um, you know, I, I think achievements and, and 
yeah, helping if, uh, helping other people is something I'm realising that the older I'm getting is, you know, contributing back to your community, contributing full stop is, is much more important than money will ever be. It's so. that purpose. Like money can't give you purpose, but helping purpose, other people, knowing word, you've made yeah. an effect. Like that, that's kind of what I felt with like fighting and that like, as much as I love fighting, I got a lot of purpose for fighting for my gym and like, you know, yep. watching coaches put a lot into me. So I want to give a lot back. That gave me a lot of purpose. But there's another layer to that. Like when you go out and you add people, I was literally thinking this today on the way to the gym. I was like, we're kind of like ants. Like we all want to work in this little thing and we all want our little roles and whatever. And it's like to be a part of that is a, it's a, a privilege. You know what I mean? It's a privilege to serve your community. It's, and it gives you more happiness and more purpose that you'll ever get from winning a trophy for yourself. Like winning a trophy for yourself is great because you've pushed yourself. But then it's like, what do you do with that knowledge you have now? Do you then you know, just be like, oh, look at all my trophies or do you be like, okay, cool. Now look at all these people that I've helped yep. and who have come 100%. along. Yep. I, um, I go down and talk to a couple of local footy teams every now and then, have a chat to the young lads and, and whatever. And some are from pretty rough backgrounds and whatnot, but it's sort of, I always try to impress upon them that when you're in a team sport, you're actually part of something bigger than yourself. And, and yes. you've got um, other people relying on you. And there's a lot of lessons you can take from team sports. Team sports are excellent for children because it teaches them not just motor skills and, and, strength improvements and, and all the rest of the great things that come from sport, but also that socialization and, and that realizing that you're part of something bigger and you can work together as a team, learn that teamwork, obviously. Um, yeah. they're, they're lessons you can take into the rest of your life as well. And um, yeah, I always try to impress upon them that guys, you're part of something bigger. This isn't just about you right now. Yeah. It's great that you're here, but it's also everyone else in this room. So um, yeah, there's a lot of lessons there for people to take from that for sure. Oh, right in the field. Like, as you say that, I'm like, yes. <laughs> I love that stuff. Yeah, it is like, yeah, like it sounds like I know they're like teamwork makes the dream work. Like it sounds like such a like cliche saying, but it's like it really does. Like, and that's I think that's part of the joy. Like we're wired like that. We're wired to interconnect with other people and like yeah. Definitely are. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, all right. Well, we should we should leave it there. <laughs> um <laughs> I love my ending. I was like, yeah, so um, <laughs> anyone wants to contact you obviously i'm going to uh, put your instagram in but do you have like a youtube or a website or anything that people if they want to connect with you? you're in as well you're in sydney as how you 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 train with andy yeah. so you're sydney yeah, yeah. western sydney western sydney base yeah I'm, I'm from the blue mountains hence yeah. hence my handle hence on the stuff. name <laughs> yeah that's it um so yeah i'm a mountains lad but yeah western sydney base um for training and, and coaching and stuff but yeah look insta is probably the best way to get hold of me uh luke Luke Blue Mountain Reynolds. Um, yeah, hit me through there is, is probably the easiest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I might, I might message you in the future because that's, yeah, you've got, I love your perspective on coaching as well. I love that whole stuff. And yeah. I'm kind oh, absolutely. Of- no, only too happy to talk about it for sure. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. Sick. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next podcast.